This is a Spirit of Truth Radio Network original program. It is said that confession is good for the soul. This episode reunites me with my former confessor, my former pastor, and we talk about the sacrament of reconciliation and how it relates to community. Crossing my path one more time to join me along the way is the president of Northwest Catholic High School, Father Michael Dolan. Welcome, Father. Nice to see you. Hey, it's, it's great, so great to see you again. It's been so long. Oh my goodness, really? I don't know. Years, years at least. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, this is a topic that's really, really important to me. Uh, reconciliation is, it's amazingly important. And let me ask you a question. As far as the sacraments go, would you say that reconciliation is the number two most important after baptism? Yeah, it's, I remember just the, the duration of the courses. We studied baptism for a whole semester. I thought, there's really this much to it? This is really killing me. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, penance would be, I think probably number two, or we, I'd rank it up with Eucharist. It's kind of like, what do you need to get there? So I suppose the ongoing one is Eucharist is always a staple. Baptism only occurs once. Right. But reconciliation, you know, some people, they used to go before the council, the entire town would go to confession every week. And there's a huge long line. The retired priests tell me about how they spent hours and hours and hours my only experience of that was at um, like World Youth Day things, where I, sp- I I once heard confessions for thirteen hours. I at the end I I was a mess. <laughs> it sounded like a puddle. We just it was like an endurance like Olympics. Right. But now I find that people tend to young people. You'll say, "When's the last time I went to confession?" It was there for their first communion, and then when they come for confirmation, they go almost all of them, mm-hmm. unless you're in a special parish where they. They really make that a staple of evangelization. They talk about, you know, how you grow in your spiritual life. And if you couch it in terms of, especially youth sports, you work on your, you work on being an athlete. Oh, yeah. You work on being a student. Oh, yeah. You work on being a saint. You know, why would I do that? Jesus loves everyone. I say, yeah, but he'd love you more if you talk to him, if you participate in mass, things like that. Right. So the best practice I've seen of people making monthly confession um, tends to be more measured. People that will do a devo- they make a devotional confession. So they come in, they don't have that much matter, but they just like to touch base. They feel they want to be in that state of grace, which is which is praiseworthy and laudable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wonder sometimes if they're growing as much because when it becomes a habit, they come in and say the same things every week. You're like, and do you have any insight? Why are you doing that? Or how are you growing out of that, you know, this habit? And the more it becomes habitual, the less culpable there is you don't want to get to that point where you have all these habits that are really detrimental as opposed to touching base almost like a like the uh, confessor or your spiritual director saying well you know are you making any progress in grace um but it gives you perspective too Mm -hmm. i have lots of Protestant friends that will say oh no i just talked to jesus i said and and so what does he tell you well you know i just get this feeling the sense i'm forgiven so but then how do you grow you know, they have to have that spiritual friend that will challenge them. Yeah. As everyone likes to proof text, like, I like Matthew 25, but I skip over the part about love your enemies because I don't like that. Well, True. You know, Father, Dave, Dave Imhoff and I met on uh, uh, some acts retreats. We've been on teams together. And, uh, you know, we'll, you'll go there and you'll, you'll just hear these stories of guys that have not been to confession in 20, 30 years. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. as a priest, that that's got to be very, um, 
very good for you and and it must make you feel good when you you hear those those long confessions like that yeah it's it's amazing how they put so much thought into it and almost they 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 become so anxious about it that when they finally get there the first thing i tell them like i I always say would you relax i was a college chaplain you really can't shock me (laughs) back down Mm -hmm. um Oh, and it's amazing that how the life of grace is so vibrant. Even when we push ourselves far from God, God comes right after us. And they talk about these beautiful moments in their lives. They remember all these instances, uh, particularly uh, like retreats like you went on. Um, they'll go past their parish church and slow down. There's a, there's a, a real sense of the sacred that they don't lose. Uh, it's amazing how people will define themselves as Catholic go around and go around. One woman said to me once, oh, do people still go to confession? I said, well, yeah, what do you think I do on Saturdays? Oh, you know. But then they'll, they'll say most of the, I've heard more confessions outside the confessional than in the confessional. Lots of people pull your side. Wedding receptions, I mean, oh, I don't stay for the whole thing because I just can't hear that many confessions. Really? Uh, but they're always, unless there's an open bar, then they'll forget it. <laughs> then you'll forget it? They forget, yeah, they're not going to confession because they're open bar, they're in line. Right. Cash bar, they come over, you're like, I oh, wonder, because if they went to the, the, the mass or the, the wedding ceremony, they think that they got a sense of you'd be more understanding. Um, they don't want to get yelled at. Nobody wants to get yelled at. And, uh, you know, I, what I do is like my experience of confession, when I felt this was a beautiful celebration, this is great. Um, that goes a long way for me. But if I had a bad experience of confession, that also says, well, I'll never do that to anyone. <laughs> I, I did have a priest yell at me in, in confession once, but he was, oh, an, yeah. he was an old priest and, and uh, you know, thought he was, he was doing well by me. But I just want my, my listeners to know, my, especially my non-Catholic listeners, Father, you can't tell. You are strictly forbidden to ever, ever say anything that, that goes on in a confessional. That's true. Yeah, the seal of confession differs from confidentiality. People are saying, well, if they tell you something really, you know, you, like a crime, you have to report it. Lay down. No, I said, and if you say lawyer client privilege, well, that's that's okay. Also, that's okay, but this is older than lawyer client privilege. So the, the idea of the seal of confession is that not only can I talk about who confessed mm-hmm. uh, or the matter that they confessed, but I can't treat you differently. So if I see you the next day and I I remember like was disturbing and bad, like that's breaking the seal. I can't treat you differently. What I find is afterwards, I just give it over to the Lord. Mm-hmm. I usually forget what's, uh, what's said in confession because it's not a, it's not a topic for conversation. I would compare it to like the most embarrassing day I had in grade school. I usually don't tell that story because it's still embarrassing to me. Right. And it's kind of that matter that's it's not a topic of conversation that you bring up. Mm-hmm. And uh, every now and then someone will, will say something and that's, that makes me uncomfortable. Uh, and I just, I just pray to the Holy spirit and, uh, you have to, I'll, I can consult another priest, uh, from not in the same parish, but I can consult a priest out in another diocese or uh, far away. So there won't be any, any complication there. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you did the right thing or you weren't quite sure. There, there are some sins that are reserved and you have to have permission from the bishop to forgive them. Uh, but our local bishop has been very generous in giving us delegation to forgive them of sins, such as in the case of abortion. 
I was going to ask you, what, what, what are those sins? Well, one is assaulting the Holy Father. That one, you still have to go to Rome, but I, I, most people don't take a swing at Francis, which is good. Mm. Um, and there's, a, there's one for procuring or assisting an abortion, um, but that's been delegated to us. Um, it's, it's not as if there's, um, if people want that immediacy. That's what the bishops come down to. They really need, although it's such a serious case, uh, they want to make sure that that they get that pastoral care right away in that resolution. And those, and those confessions are always very dramatic and very heart-wrenching. Mm. Um, and, you know, or if you have a, a grievous public sinner, if, um, I don't know, think of someone in the headline comes to you, you're like, oh, well, how do we handle this? Right. You know, Father, if, if there's a question that I, I ask that you, you, you don't feel comfortable, I'll edit it right out. Just, you know, we'll oh, move sure, over. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fine. No, this is, I get asked more questions about confession than any other sacrament. See, with, with, with marriage, the questions aren't about the sacraments. It's always like, can I throw rice? Can I have balloons? Can I dance down the aisle? Can I, they're, they're nothing to do with the sacrament. But people actually want to know about the sacrament of confession, which is great. It is. It's, it, it, I, I, my personal feelings, Father, is it, it's the first steps back to being part of that community again, that community with, okay. with God and God's people. Um, you know, when we begin Mass and we have that penitential rite, that doesn't forgive a mortal sin, but it certainly forgives a venial sin. It's kind of like a cleaning your windshield and your car. Um, you know, you just want to see clearly and remind yourself, these are my highest ideals. I want to follow them. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned like to young people that are involved in youth sports, they understand excellence, but no one ever mentions them moral development. That you start off, you're nice, and grace builds on nature, so you can be better. You know, God loves me the way I am, but not enough to let me stay that way. So how can you improve? But it's a lifelong journey of conversion, so that's that sacrament of conversion that you touch base. Um, I don't know why people wait so long to, you know, to go to confession. They, they wait, I think, far too long. Um, COVID was a, was a different experience. There, all of a sudden, people wanted to have confessions outdoors. And my great fear was I've seen how my parishioners drive. I said, they're going to drive right over me. I've seen them leaving, and there's no safe way I could figure out, you know, they're screaming their sins, and the party just was crazy. It was like, we, we, we said, come in. And we set up this whole thing and the lines divide and we had loads of people come to confession. It's, uh, it, was, it was fine. Now as a uh, president of a Connecticut's finest Catholic schools, you, you must have some sort of a, a program for the, the kids to, to do confession. Yeah, we do. Every Wednesday we have a chaplain that comes in. I also participate and we bring in uh, outside priests. Uh, COVID has prevented us from doing that, but we've at least had two priests in on, our, on a weekly basis for confession. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say they're knocking the door down, but we are building a culture that is there for them. And kids have come in and asked, had really profound conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm impressed with them. They're very articulate. They're very articulate, uh, which, which is nice. It's funny when you teach the little ones how to, you know, go to confession, they it's very hard because there's so many, there's so many points. There's confess your sin, memorize the act of contrition, uh, wait for your penance, receive absolution. Well, the little ones, they, um, they get part of it and not the other part, but they'll start right away with the act of contrition. So you kind of go back and, um, we did there. 
they're they're tiny, but they know right from wrong, mm-hmm. and they get the. It's a great it's a great start. We always for little ones we always have a confession, like in the sanctuary, and they'll come in and they'll they'll tell these things, but they don't have a long when they're little they don't have a real long memory for some reason. Mm-hmm. They'll sit there and it's like all immediate sins. It's like what happened in the car on the way over. <laughs> those sins. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the high schoolers uh, are, I would say, they're more embarrassed by anything. It's that's you know they're just so self-conscious. They don't want you to think ill of them, and uh, you have to assure them. No, this is not. I'm not judging um, in that manner. It's it's a it's a form of grace and forgiveness. It's not uh, the Spanish Inquisition per se. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some. We, we've had some serious disciplinary matters now and then. I'm glad it's not that frequent, but uh, young people make poor decisions. And sometimes it's, uh, there's, there's two cases, internal form and external form. Internal form would be confession. External form would be something that the whole world has just seen you, like at University Hartford, I remember they set fire to the dumpster. And uh, so that was, everyone knew about that sin before it got around to me. <laughs> Um, and it's a felony. And the kid was like, oh, I didn't know it was a felony. It's just a prank. Well, well, goodbye, you're gone. But you wanted to give them an opportunity to say, when you start again, as an older priest said to me one time, you get many starts in life. And sometimes people make decisions that really are destabilizing to themselves, but they want to know they can start again. And I like to say Catholicism, our faith, is a religion of second chances. Yeah. So you want to leave them the mindset of hope. Yeah, you messed up, but so what? I mean, I've seen notoriously famous people who have done wrong things start life again. You know, you just can't write yourself off. God doesn't write us off. Um, you want, you may not be in that same position again because you lost it because of poor decisions, but, but you want to be able to say, you know, you, you still have value. Don't lose, none of us loses our dignity because it was given to us by Jesus Christ when he took on this this human flesh. So as bad as we can be, even in the depths of our sin, that dignity is still there. And that's, you want to kind of point that out to the person. Um, of course, you also want justice. You want to make sure, you know, how do you make up for your sins? Uh, if you undid someone else's faith because of your actions, you want to make sure that um, you can do something to inspire them to be faithful. You know, people love the conversion story of St. Paul or someone who was an atheist becoming a believer or someone that was divorced, they get back together again, or mm-hmm. someone, or, or things like that. I mean, there's really very dramatic changes in people's lives are, are worthy of gospel attention. Like, oh, oh, wow, these things really do happen. Like, I guess that's the thing that's appealing to me about the confessional is there's so much human drama going on. Um, some people say, why would you wanna be a priest? It's so boring, you don't do anything. I'm like, really? Okay, it's not boring. I've never really been bored. No, I can I can imagine you're not. Um, do you prefer going face to face or uh, have the screen? As, as myself as a penitent? No, I mean as, as a priest. Do you you know? Oh, um, well, it's the problem with face to face is people tend to think of a therapeutic model, and so they would start off. It tends to be a longer confession, like you know, they start off and say it all started when my parents met. You're like, oh, this is going to be long. As opposed to behind the screen is always bless me, Father, I have sin, and it's like this laundry list. Yeah, uh, I've had some very good 
confessions behind the screen. The people like the anonymity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it saves on the embarrassment. Uh, at the same time, when you see the person's face, it's kind of like we have the mask. It's the same experience. When you have the mask, you're like you're losing something of their expressiveness, and there's so much communication that goes on with it, with that that you miss out on it behind the screen. But you can pretty much you can do a do a good job. You tend to, it depends on how the open the church is. But I I find I get tend to be claustrophobic in that little booth that drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, get over it. But on the other hand, um, an old French priest told us one time, he goes, when you have the reconciliation, you make sure their chair is good and uncomfortable so they don't stay too long. <laughs> oh, yeah, please. You must see, after you know, years and years of people not going to confession, you must see like men almost like reborn in front of you. Oh, there are, it's a place of, uh, we always have uh, Kleenex in the confessional there's because people are always crying uh, it's cathartic to finally say i did this i, I was in a parish a lot of french canadians and they would begin off their confession which i'm accused i accuse myself of the following i'm like oh and it was just it was charming because it was so blunt and honest um when i was in a spanish parish the penitents many times would invoke the patronage of their particular saints that were devoted to and that that made it really long because they would go on to lots of devotions, Nuestra Senora, whatever, and Saint so-and-so. And, uh, it was culturally very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, that, that moment when people come in after so long and they're just unburdened and free. And um, I finally, and when I was in Hamden, we were trying to do over the reconciliation room. It wasn't really that attractive. Uh, it was all paneling. You tell them they did in the 70s. It was very groovy. Mm-hmm. And uh, not conducive to the to uh, what was taking place there. So the most I did was I put a full length mirror on the back door because we would line up to go to, conf- uh, to say mass, and I would straighten out my vestments that they were disheveled just to check because I'm type A. Um, <laughs> but I would tell the kids when they left confession, look in the mirror, and that's what it looks like to be forgiven. And they loved it. And the only problem is that I, <laughs> there one little kid goes to the mirror goes, oh, well, well, look at that. Well, isn't that, that's, wow. That, I said, okay, keep going. I got a line, keep going. <laughs> um, but it's, it's good for people to see what forgive, forgiveness looks like, so. Yeah. There were a couple of times I took you aside because you were my pastor. Mm-hmm. It was a couple of times I took you aside and do you have time for a quick confession? You seems like you get that a lot, do you? Oh, yeah. yeah, no, a lot. I remember my first year in priesthood hearing we lived right on St. George and Guilford on the green. I heard more confessions walking around the green than I did in the church. Because uh, sometimes people are, they're really intimidated to go in there and it's dark and there's little candles flickering. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of the mystery of it all was just like overwhelming. Uh, versus if you're walking around, I've heard them on the beach, I've heard of them for, you know, walks in the woods and, you know, they'll recognize you. Um, during COVID, we used to walk up and down on Sleeping Giant, and parishioners would occasionally stop and things, which is fine, which is great. Mm-hmm. Never in the supermarket, though, too crowded. Yeah. <laughs> in the parking lot, maybe, but right. Um, not a lot in the parking lot. Yeah, which is, which is, which is wonderful. Yeah. So you must wear your collar out in public. Oh yeah, all the time. They someone asked me, "Have you ever 
not wear your collar? I said, well, at the gym, I tend to not wear my collar. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. No, it does. I mean, I'm always in it like 24 seven because we work well. Now with the high school, it's it's Monday through Friday and I try and take part of Saturday, but I'm, I'm in church on Sunday working sometimes usually for vigil masses too. But mm -hmm. um, so Saturday morning, you'll see me dressed like every priest on his day off with plaids and stripes and polka dots and knee-high socks, and it's horrible. Priests oh. don't know how to dress. That's the real, <laughs> That's the real Father Dolan, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, gotta, I, I, I didn't know how I was going to work this in, but I just remember, you know, when you were my pastor, you always had the best dad jokes. I mean, you were a priest, but you had the best dad jokes. I, I, it just, you always made me laugh during uh, your homilies. Uh, they were always, it was always lighthearted and uplifting. So I just wanted to say that, that, you know, you know, the kids are lucky to have you as, as a, well, thank you. yeah, I'm lucky to have my producer, Dave Imhoff. So I want to ask him to uh, step in and see if he's got any questions. Cause I know that he is, uh, uh, feels the same way about reconciliation that I do. Dave. Uh, thanks Dave. Uh, father, uh, welcome again to the, to the program. I'm, I'm, I kind of do the thing or did the thing that I think you were referring to. I, I think I had my last confession in for confirmation. And then I think it was my first axe retreat when I was, you know, 50 years old or something like that. So, you know, um, it just, I, I, I never went. So, but that's changed. And I try to go on a regular basis and my question is, what would you say is a good frequency? I'll say for, you know, of course, if you have something uh, mortal that you need to confess, uh, you need to go fairly quickly. But um, what would, what's a good frequency to go to confession? Uh, I would say um, for some people works really well is seasonally in terms of Advent, Christmas, Lent, Easter, ordinary time, kind of like the... They like to match a liturgical sense of confession, um, which is probably better than say like uh, the the weekly thing. Unless of course you're very mature. Like John Paul II supposedly had heard. I don't know if this is true. I don't have a um, a reference for this. Went to confession every day. Uh, that that you really have to be at that um, that sixth sixth or seventh stage of spiritual development. If you're Teresa Lisier or of a CC, yeah, I recommend that. But we're most of us are on that level. Um, but I would say monthly works out really well because it's people do lots of things on a regular basis. You think about oil changes, and it's kind of similar to that. And that this you're you're preventing something from breaking down. And I look at it that way, month, month and a half. Um, some people do weekly confession, and that's that's fine. But I I try and and grab a hold of them if I recognize them after a while and say, well, how are you doing on this? You know, because I usually don't remember the confession, but you want to make sure they're making progress in the moral life as well as their spiritual devotion. Um, you know, that it's great to do memorized prayers like say the St. Michael's Chapel or Divine Mercy Chapel or the, or the Holy Rosary, um, certainly the celebration of the Eucharist, but you want to say, well, how are you doing in these other areas of prayer, like just mental prayer or, or the centering prayer or this because if you match up your personality with a different prayer, it really goes, it goes much farther. And you, after a while you get to know people that, who identify themselves to you uh, when they come to confession, you pick up and say, why don't you try Lexio Divina, that holy reading, they get a lot out of it. Why don't you try like the Benedictines would pray, a real liturgical prayer, 
or uh, the Dominicans, a real mental prayer, or um, an Augustinian style of, of prayer. And look at those different schools. And some like something like this is perfect. I've struggled so long. They say I can't pay attention during this type of prayer. Uh, so confession's good for like a kind of a mini shot of spiritual direction. I mean, spiritual direction certainly like an axe retreat is that's like that's like going to Woodstock. You know, it's like it's so intense. Uh, you want to make sure that that revival to your faith. Uh, you're going to find something in a weekend like that. Uh, that's really going to rev up your interior life because we, it's rich already. Just that you don't. Nobody talks about it. We talk about cars and houses and jobs and sports. We never talk about religion except to talk about uh, the dark side or exorcisms or things like that. They kind of miss the point. Religion is that regulation of our life towards goodness and uh, touching base through the sacrament confession. There's nothing better than say, you know, no excuses. I did this. Why? I can't stand that person. They're my enemy, and I need to forgive them and move on. Um, mortal sin. Can yeah. you describe what makes you know what is a mortal sin? And you know, of course, it's very serious. Yeah. Um, we put ourselves in mortal uh, danger uh, when we're in that state. But what what is mortal sin? So you would have to say you have to have full understanding, uh, full freedom, and full intention to do evil. So. If I put a gun to your head and say, here, kill this person, it's not a mortal sin. You really have to be fully competent, fully free, and fully intended to do evil. That would be a mortal sin. Um, and it, it separates you from God as much as possible. You can be separated from God. You're basically saying, forget this. Um, and I, you know, as long as I've heard confession, uh, people have come, and usually by the time they come, they've already made like a, a private act of contrition and they're recognizing the grievous uh, matter um, and they're kind of on the way to reconciliation when they come there but they need they need that in uh, that in persona Christe experience that in the person of Christ in the place of the priest we talk about the power of the keys um, in the old confessionals they would have cross keys over the confessional door uh, they'd also have a rose over it so we talk about sub rosa, like secret clandestine. It's it's under the seal, um, but those cross keys, the priest has the power to lock or unlock, or keep keep locked you from your sins. And it's you know you say it as, as appealing to Jesus and also appealing to the community, of the church, because you may not you walk into a place and you may not no maybe nobody knows what you did, but you know what you did and you act differently because of that. And it does affect you. And I, and I see people in, in difficult situations, you watch them, they're not themselves. And that affects, that affects their families, that affects their coworkers. You bring your bad mood, your, your, basically your bad state of your soul. Um, you wanna be in a state of grace. Whereas if you're in a state of grace, you come to work or come to a family picnic, you're better company. <laughs> you're better to be around inspiring you're you're at the top of your game it's like uh if you you know when we go to gym when we go to the gym the first time on the uh january 1st you know it's not a pretty sight um if we stick to it later on okay things are getting better you know you're taking care of yourself and your um that moral development is so important we don't really talk about it we do it with children then we stop as adults which is unfortunate because you have to be intentional. It just doesn't happen. You know, when you meet those people that you admire so much, they didn't just happen that way. They, you have to work at being good. 
basically opening, cooperating with God's grace and and your own ongoing conversion. You just just don't end up leading the axe retreat. You know, it's you don't ask the first guy that comes in. You ask the guy that's already been. Father, you you brought up a point where people that have done mortal sin but have yeah. that sense of remorse that they need. But suppose they were to die before they were oh. able to go to confession, but they had that sense of of uh, remorse. Is it still possible for people to make it to heaven with mortal sins on their soul that they haven't confessed, but they are truly contrite about? Yes, I'd say certainly. But we, the idea of purgatory is uh, that religion of second chances, uh, that you have the opportunity to be cleansed of your sins, and, and prepared for that that way. And if we talk about God being all merciful, I think it's about the state of, all right, do you regret it? You're like, that's, I'll go down, you know, I don't care. And I, I, I imagine there's people like that. I mean, I was, I would see movies like that where people don't care and they're like, you know, I'll, what's the end of the opera, uh, Tosca, where she yells, I'll see you in hell. Like, well, that's not really great attitude now, is it? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite the opera. Mm-hmm. But the, but I, there's always an openness to forgiveness. Um, Protestants wouldn't say that. Like, all, all done, forget it. Evangelicals wouldn't say that. But Catholics say, well, you know, there's still the opportunity. Orthodox would say that too. I think it's um, in seeking mercy and, and always crying out for mercy. I think when people realize, oh my gosh, you, know, you can't, I don't think Jesus would be upset that if the priest were there, you would be there. But um, if you can't make sacramental confession, certainly that um, that experience, I think confession begins with remorse, and remorse usually happens before you hit the steps of the church. But that's part of the process, because why would you turn if grace wasn't working at work in you to bring you to that point of then ritualizing that forgiveness that you want? The uh, sacrament of the sick has, uh, I just actually had that done myself when I had my heart attack. And oh my yeah, um, there's a confession part in that as well. There is, yeah. They often say, why don't we let the deacons anoint people? They say, well, it's always connected with the sacrament of reconciliation. If it comes to like palliative care, people are often so medicated they can't confess their sins. But many times people will be with it, even though they know they're they're dying or or people that are just sick before they're put under, they make plans. I many times I have people come to like a vigil mass or after mass and they'll bring up the sanctuary and they'll be anointed right there. Mm-hmm. But I'll uh, depending on the state, I'll, are you sorry for your sins? Sometimes I'll go into it. But you can kinda you can kind of tell just like they'll say to their spouse and like, why don't you go wait over there? Then they want to go to confession. If they're okay with the spouse being there or the friend, whatever it is, then, you know, they don't have a lot of matter. They'll, they'll tell you, you know, it's been, you know, I try not to, I try, I swear sometimes I get mad, I kick the cat or things like that. Um, but with, with that is, is very moving. Um, and it's a beautiful, that's a beautiful moment when you begin the anointing because you do the confession, then the anointing, and then hopefully communion. And it's right there. It's neat because because you see it all compressed. Because usually people go to confession, they're not going to communion right away. But these beautiful settings, uh, like, and they're thrilled. They're thrilled and they're ready to go in and have the medical treatment. It's it's very impressive. Almost. 
it took a, a, a weight off of me when I had it. And I had it done right there in the hospital. Um, uh, fortunately, uh, there was a Catholic priest. Just by chance, he was uh, having lunch with the uh, chaplain for the for the for one of the hospitals that I was in who was yeah. not Catholic. And it was actually a lady. Um, very nice. But I, I just told her, I said, I really I need a priest. You know, as I knew I had to go, I had needed confession. You know, I, I, we charted, I was Dean, I was head of the deanery down in Hampton. I was really surprised. They said, how many times have you gone to the hospital? I said, I, I don't pay attention. I just go. And we, we counted them up. It was 550 times in a, a three-year period. Wow. And I, I don't even, you know, we go in, we go, I, it's like watching a slideshow or a PowerPoint presentation. You go in, you have this 15, 20 minute, and then you're, because they usually, we get called when there's no coverage. So it'll be like three o'clock in the morning and I'm all dressed up. Sometimes I probably went in my pajamas once because I'm, you know, down to sleep. But um, I think I was dressed in clerics the whole time, but uh, really good at this. <laughs> like, like Superman. Mm-hmm. You used to be the uh, vocations director for the archdiocese, but now you are the director of ecumenical interreligious affairs. Yeah, there's two priests that work at it. The ecumenical uh, affairs priest is Father Aidan Donnie, who has a STL uh, degree in sacred theology license from Rome. He's really, really bright guy. He does all the dialogue with our brothers and sisters in Christ, mm-hmm. all the Protestants, evangelicals, charismatic. All the everyone, mm-hmm. and I everyone that's not baptized. Uh, so uh, Jewish, Muslim, primarily, but also uh, Buddhist, Hindu, uh, Sikh. Uh, I forget the other's name. Uh, Mormon. Uh, who Mormons. Yeah, uh, who identify as Christians, but we wouldn't identify them as Christians. So, but we're polite about it. They're very interesting. Um, we have uh, Unitarians um, who it's really, that's kind of, it's, you know, the book, uh, Everything I Ever Needed, Now I Learned in Kindergarten. Yep. That's a Unitarian. That's, he's a Unitarian minister. So Really? Wow. Primarily one in New Haven and one in Hartford. There's two councils. The one in New Haven uh, likes to make um, statements about societal issues, really strong societal issues all the time time and the one in Hartford does his great dialogue that you want we think the more we understand people the less we hate which is true and it's fascinating and I found that in my experiences with Muslims for instance I was invited in a mosque one time to preach I said this is interesting that is interesting it was great I've studied Islam since before 9-11 so my impression of, of Muslims has always been kind of a National Geographic fascinating there's a it's like catholics in terms there's a cultural expression and the religious expression but there's no single voice in islam you can't there's no vatican or anything like that Mm -hmm. and there's two big parts and they're they're much more splintered than say christianity there's lots of different uh moving parts but with uh with jews there's like five different schools of judaism and uh i i i really enjoy it they're i they're um we had a, a discussion with um, Jewish and Catholic cemetery workers because we have very similar beliefs. I mean, we're we're a Semitic religion ourselves, mm-hmm. and that was that was riveting to talk about 
how we handle grief and how we do this and, and what would legislators do to try. We were worried that they were going to try and enforce uh, environmental laws to outlaw our burial practices, which of course are two to 5,000 years old, uh, to make these kind of natural burials. And we wanted to make sure we we're on the same page together. So that was, that was very interesting. Um, every time there's a, an event of uh, Islamophobia, anti-Islamic activity, we get together and, and talk through that, those, those instances. Mm -hmm. uh, and we talk also about um, Christians being persecuted in other lands where they're minorities and in Pakistan and India and Indonesia, uh, Southern Philippines. Uh, and they're, you know, I found very, very, very decent uh, people and very devout. And we, we have discussions about well, who's Jesus for you? Um, Pope Benedict had a great relationship with Rabbi uh, Neusner. Uh, it was a rabbi reading the New Testament and critiquing it, which was, which was great. It was very interesting because they say, well, no, that's not what it meant. We're looking at it through Christian eyes. He's looking through Jewish eyes. I said, no, he's talking about this brilliant, brilliant stuff. And it helps you grow in your own faith because they'll ask you an obvious question that you find really difficult to answer. Hmm. And, and that's good for us. That's good for us. How do you find the common ground between, you know, say our faith and, in their faiths. I mean, I, I believe it's got to be on dignity, human dignity. Oh, yeah. There, we have lots of documents with Muslims and with uh, Jews about those common ground, uh, those commonalities that we share. And uh, that's good. But you'll, you'll also find, I remember being in class one day, and the, the professor was a Muslim guy from Bethlehem. I said, oh, my boss is from Bethlehem. Really, what's his name? He says, oh, yeah. But okay. well, he was teasing the Afghani students about, um, about the Taliban. And they were not, they would not take the bait. They would not say a word. They were very much afraid, and they should have been. Hmm. This is all 9-11. And yet when we had a, a priest got uh, murdered, sadly, in Forestville, Father uh, Bob Lish was attacked by some person very, they're still in prison, it's deranged, but poor Bob died. Um, I was in a class with a, uh, a woman who was Catholic, never practiced her faith, discovered Islam, converted, and she's quite the scholar. Um, and I always kind of felt uneasy around her. And then she was so comforting to me when the priest died. I just, I was amazed. I was so impressed with her. Uh, Ingrid Matson. she's a, a brilliant Islamic scholar of legal jurisprudence. So um, I do, what I try and do is point out that uh, Islam always gets uh, uh, everything. They, everything's wonderful, the golden age of Islam and, and the Christians were terrible in the crusades. And I'm like, I, well, there was another side. And then, well, that, yeah, that, yeah. And they, they'll, they'll be very, very good, but we don't, we're never made to look good because we're Western civilization and that is portrayed as evil and bad and oppressive and things like that. And then I'll point out all the good things like, well, yeah, okay, well, there's that. Yes, there is the university system, the scientific method, little things like that. Yeah. The Catholic Church, I've often said, um, has made some of the great, it's, it's made our, our world what it is. Yeah. There's a great, uh, author uh, Tom Cahill talked about the hinges of history he talks about and he and he's he's very liberal but he points out all the things the church has done and he almost has more credence because he's so critical of the church he points out everything the church has brought along which is so it's, it's kind of it's impressive 
you know, my opinion, Father, I think if, if the Catholic Church were to close down all its hospitals, close down its schools, think about how yeah. society would collapse. Oh, my goodness, please. You know, because yeah. the Catholic Church and, you know, some of the other church, you know, the other churches as well, really contribute to society. Uh, and I had one pastor say to me recently, I don't know why people don't join parishes. They're missing out on so much because I see them. Like I see them in West Hartford Center, everyone's down there and they're milling around and talking. It's a nice community and stuff, but I also find a kind of an emptiness too. Mm -hmm. That what are they celebrating? I mean, even you'll see some, they'll have like first Thursday event. Well, first 30, first Friday, that's a Catholic idea. And they we a lot of our stuff is taken, co-opted, and people are monetizing it somehow. And I'm like, yeah, but they're missing the meaning of life, who's Jesus Christ. So it's unfortunate they sell themselves short. Uh, there's even pressure sometimes. I think they miss the point. Uh, we, we're very intent on the Catholic identity of Northwest Catholic High School, but there's sometimes I have to call back people and say, and and to what and what about and what about. Um, so they're they're good, but you have to just remind people there's a fuller sense of this. And also, what are we what are we headed towards? What's our teleology? Our end game is not to be uh, like red buttons and retire to Florida. Our end game is to end up in heaven. So that. That's what confession's about. It's that world development. And it's very difficult. It's very dramatic. Um, I was upset one day. My my nephew said, oh, yeah, I better pray. And he did this uh, Buddhist stance saying, um, I was like, really? My own nephew? This is what you do for prayer? He doesn't hold his hands like this? Uh, so we had a discussion after that. He'll be making his confirmation soon. And I was impressed. He learned a lot. He's a good boy when he's asleep. When he's asleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, Father, you ever hear the confessions of, of some of these these non-Catholics? Uh, I'm trying to think. No, we've had great pastoral discussions. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had some instances of, of Christians that wanted their confessions heard. Because uh, they got, you know, the one thing, uh, Hollywood gets that, they, the, the drama of that whole, you know, uh, conversion experience. Um, and people are intrigued by that. So mm -hmm. I've had spouses, certainly spouses of non-Catholic non spouses ask for anointing, ask for funerals. And um, they start, you know, they'll like, they won't practice their own faith. They won't become Catholic because it'll hurt their parents' feelings. But then they'll, they'll end up, um, you know, ending their, spending their whole life as a, a Catholic in everything but name. Mm -hmm. So... Those are interesting, but with I did have a Muslim recently ask me if he could go on retreat with me to a monastery, and I said, "Yeah, I think so." Well, I said, "We'll, we'll check that out." I mean, I got to figure that out yet. Uh, I think the monks will be intrigued. Who knows what could happen there? The graces that could could be flowing. Oh yeah, he's, he's very devout Muslim, so it's, it, it'll be interesting because it's they have there's a strong strain of. Christian monastic influence in in Islam because they were used to desert fathers and the desert mothers and that came through. I mean, Muhammad talked to everybody. He was a successful businessman, but he, he was so intrigued by spirituality. Um, I kind of look at it in terms of it's a Christian heresy in that they went from the Trinity, like a Muslim said at one time in class, you shatter God who break them into little pieces. I said, no, just, just three pieces. Um, 
and they we went back and forth and he says i pray five times a day and i said i pray five times a day it's called it's called the uh liturgy of the hours and i showed him the book and he kind of flicked it back at me he wasn't really open to dialogue and he didn't like the fact that there was some history before islam it was just islam nothing before matters like when in afghanistan when they blew up the buddhist uh the buddhist statues mm -hmm. they just that mindset is just get rid of it whereas uh, a lot of Muslims are like, you know, I'm Muslim and I'm Indonesian, I'm Muslim and I'm Arab, I'm Muslim and I'm Moroccan and I'm, you know, something else. And um, they have a, a uh, there's a historicity to their, to their religion, their, their practice of their religion. Well, they have a devotion to Mary, so. Oh, they do. There's that great, uh, was it of gods and men, I think it is. And uh, they had a, a statue of pregnant, a statue of pregnant Mary. And uh, the Muslim woman come and pray. They, the um, militia or the terrorists lopped the head off the statue, but they still came to that statue and pregnant women would pray to Mary. Well, Father, as we, we begin to maybe close this up, um, do you have any advice that you would like to give to anybody that's one that hasn't been to confession in a while, um, somebody that may be afraid to go to confession? Do you have any, any uh, takeaways? Tell, just tell the priest, it's been a long time, I forget, I'm nervous, and they'll walk you through it. Almost all the priests will walk you through it. If I really want to grow, grow close to the Lord Jesus, um, can you tell me what to do? And uh, I, I, well, I do that all the time. Every now and then you get a frequent flyer, and they know exactly what to do, and it was very impressive. Uh, <laughs> but most of the time, we're used to ministering and helping people through the whatever ritual it might be, whether it's anointing the sick, or it's, um, you know, I anointed I, I the sick or confession. I, I did um, a reconciliation. I brought Sister, Sister Mary O'Neill, who's a wonderful woman. She was my pastoral associate. And I had the holy oil with the oil stock. And I had this and I had that. And they had a cat. And the cat knocked the oil stock off and it rolled under the bed. I'm under the bed. And I'm trying. Sisters, it was just a mess. It was the whole thing. But, you know, it ended up, it was the... The person being anointed was like just delighted to have the company of a priest and a nun and she got anointed and it was in the cat was running around and then i almost sat on the cat i was so i was embarrassed but she was just thrilled because it was it was it wasn't a nurse it wasn't a doctor it was two christians caring for her and even though it wasn't a beautiful ritual in the end actually it was really beautiful because she was so thrilled to be forgiven and she, don't worry about it, Father. That's fine. That's fine, sister. That's fine, Father. Don't worry. The cat was, I wish the cat wasn't there, but um, <laughs> but she was She was very excited. She thought she was dying. And then a week later, she came to coffee in. I'm like, this one. And two weeks later, she, she finally passed. But um, just an impressive lady. Yeah. And uh, really a beautiful celebration. Father, I usually close with an Irish blessing that goes, may your troubles be less, your blessings be more. And nothing but happiness come through your door, but you being a, a great Irish priest, would you give us a blessing? Sure. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. It's wind again. May God hold you in the promised hand. The blessing of God descend upon you, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.